Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're going to be talking about Mars. Um, did you see The Martian, the movie? Um, that Matt Damon guy, he lived on potatoes for months, right? I mean, that's basically all he had because that's all he could grow. Now, we've talked a lot about getting humans to the red planet one day. There's work being done as we speak. So if we do get there, we're, we're going to have to come up with a way to feed them while they're there. And it, it can't be just potatoes. It can't be. Um, so what might humans eat? If we ever do get to Mars, we're going to chat with Lenore Newman, who is a Canada Research Chair in Food Security and the Environment at the University of Fraser Valley. Um, and Lenore, you actually done some work on this and put together, did you write a book? Was it a full book that you wrote on what will feed humans on Mars? That is correct. And <laughs> thanks for having me on. Um, during the pandemic, um, a lot of people baked bread and I'm not, I'm not very good at bread. So, uh, a friend of mine and myself, we wrote a book called Dinner on Mars, and it started as a bit of uh, almost an argument over whether we could feed people on Mars. And so we ended up uh, taking some time digging into that. And yeah, my co-author, Dr. Evan Fraser, is from University of Guelph, and we just dug into it and uh tried to figure out what would the rocket man eat. And that seems like a much better use of your pandemic downtime than baking bread. I'm really glad you did it because these kinds of conversations just fascinate me. So let's start with what, where, where did you start? I guess is the good question. I mean, we, we've got some humans in space. We know that we're taking food to space and things like that. So that's probably part of it. But we can't just take everything, right? We actually have to produce some stuff in space. Is that where you started? That is true. What we realized uh, was that Mars is too far for takeout. And uh, <laughs> we also know, and I, I hate to burst everyone's bubble, but uh, Matt Damon would have been poisoned by the potatoes. Really? Why? The soil, on, the soil on Mars is toxic. It has a really potent, a really potent carcinogen in it. So we actually started with the soil and tried to figure out how could we process it to make it so it wouldn't be toxic yep. potatoes. And uh, so the base of the food system on Mars starts with um, cyanobacteria, but uh, that's fancy word for blue-green al algae. And okay. on Earth, blue-green algae is mostly a problem, but it turns out if you grow it on Mars, you end up with some organic matter, but you also, it cleans the soil for you. So that was stage one. And then our areas of expertise in our day jobs are mostly around then how do you make protein and carbohydrates and, you know, fruits and vegetables starting from the soil. So, yeah, we uh, we built it up from there. And I think we can safely say you can grow enough food on Mars to support a little city, but it would be very hard. Really? Hey, okay. And now... When we, we did a conversation a couple of weeks ago, it got FDA approval, this lab grown meat. Is that, is that something that you're talking? I mean, maybe, I mean, there's no animals running around on Mars. We're not going to have cattle farms up on Mars. I wouldn't think either. Um, but we grow the meat. Basically, it's like test tube 
stakes, right? Did you look into that? We did, and that actually is an entire chapter of the book because (laughs) we realized that was a real sticking point is animal agriculture doesn't work in space because it's quite inefficient, and let alone that animals don't do well in space. And uh, we have some experiments that have been done with that. And uh, they tend to get very confused and very annoyed. Um, One of my favorite is there's some great videos online of cats in zero gravity. They they don't like it. It's (laughs) it's not a good scene. Um, And so, yeah, we realized that it's going to have to be basically a vegan diet, at least, you know, for the foreseeable future, maybe a few fish if we're really careful. But, yeah, you end up with, um, well, then where do we get the protein? And, yeah, lab-grown meat, definitely going to be part of it, where you're taking yeast and bacteria and fungus and using them to brew protein yeah. the same way you brew beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, doesn't sound appetizing, but, hey, you got to survive. So if, if that's what we're going to eat, that's what we're going to eat. Now, getting back to the producing uh, fruit and vegetables. You say enough to support a small city. I mean, how? Like, we're not going to be planting farms, I wouldn't think, right? Like you say the, the soil has its issues. So, so how do you produce that quantity? Well, the good news is we're developing that technology on Earth really rapidly. This idea of indoor vertical farms or really advanced greenhouse technology. And in a way, it's because we need it here. And I mean, if uh, any of your listeners have tried to buy lettuce in the yeah. last little while, you've probably had the same thing that I have where you go and you're like, holy, I- I'm <laughs> going to have cabbage. <laughs> Good old cabbage. That's what we're eating today. Um, so here in Canada, we're actually really trying to push forward that industry of using hydroponics to grow fruits and vegetables year round where you need them at scale. And those technologies are advancing rapidly and they're going to, yeah, it's, I'm pretty sure that our Martians will have really good vegetables and fruit because that we can do. So it's going to be a bit of a highlight. You'll, you'll be eating a lot of really nice salads, but they'll be better than the salads <laughs> we have here. Interesting. Okay, now, like you say, a lot of these strategies, I mean, we're using them in different ways already. It's not like we're starting from scratch. We know there is a possibility with some of the things we're already doing to make this work, right? This is already happening. This is true. Yeah, we basically are building this on a terrestrial food system. We can actually learn things about Earth's food system from trying to do this. Now, one of the the weird things that caught me by surprise is here on Earth, the one part of the food system that's just perfect is our carbohydrates. So our grains, our pulses, it's really technologically advanced. They're really cheap. We do it really well. I mean, Canada is a carbohydrate powerhouse, as you know. Mm-hmm. And you try and do that on Mars, and it's really, it turns out it's really hard because those crops take up so much area to the point we realized that people on Mars will just have to eat less carbohydrate, which actually is probably a bit of a good thing right. because we eat too many carbohydrates. But it means a food like spaghetti might be a bit of a luxury product you only have once in a while, simply because it takes so much room to grow, you know, wheat and lentils and foods like that. 
Interesting. So, so like you say, as we sort of just explore this, I mean, we're obviously we're not doing it, um, but just the concepts and the practices and the things that we're attempting and developing, they'll be applicable down here on Earth and possibly make things better for us on this planet, too. That's what we realized as we dug into it. It started as a fun exercise yeah. because, you know, we were stuck inside. Um, but we quickly realized there were actually lessons, certainly around protein, because we know that our protein system is quite inefficient. It takes up a lot of room. It's, uh, it needs to be changed to uh, be a little less intensive. And we, you know, we see plant-based proteins and we see these lab-based proteins emerging as cellular agriculture. And so we think looking at how you would feed Mars using as few resources possible and also closing the loop. That's another thing that becomes very obvious is on Mars, you couldn't waste anything. You'd always have to be recycling. And really, we should be doing that here. It's just we haven't had the reason to, yeah. but we do because we have um, you know climate problems we need to address. So Closing the loop, trying to have a more diverse sort of protein portfolio, maybe eating a few less carbs, doubling down on fruit and vegetables and producing them where you actually are. These are all things, they're lessons that we can apply here that would also work to make sure that a Martian community was, you know, happy and had meals. So bottom line, it's possible. We could do it. We could sustain life it on Mars. It is possible. Yeah, it is possible. And uh, the other thing that uh, was a little playful, but we realized is anytime humans have, have, you know, moved to a new environment that's really harsh, one of the first things they do is figure out how to produce alcohol. So I'm pretty sure we'll be fermenting other things on Mars, too, pretty quickly. And who knows, maybe one day a good Martian red wine or good Martian <laughs> whiskey will be competing on Earth with our home product. Wouldn't we're that be something? We're from that, but uh, <laughs> again, never underestimate the... Uh, the urge for people to get slightly intoxicated. You're so absolutely that. that happens. No matter what, we will figure out a way of doing that. Uh, Lenore, so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.